It's an incredibly lonely time when all of the people that you've been surrounded with are not experiencing the same thing. So for me, the biggest, um, I guess, issue was the isolation of not having anybody to speak to and go, hey, this is really hard. And suddenly a life where you're very structured and you know everything that's happening and you're getting other people you know, on track and, and completing deadlines, you are completely run by this little kid's agenda. And that agenda doesn't work with your agenda. Um, so for me, it was, again, I guess the next stage for me and really being able to let go and surrender and know that I can't control everything. I'm Alison Rice and welcome to Offline, the podcast. These are honest conversations about true self with the people behind the Instagram accounts and the teachers who help us on our way. A lot has changed since I launched Offline in September 2018. It started as a podcast, and thanks to your ongoing support, it turned into a movement. Today, Offline exists to help us explore the essence of who we are and how to live, create, and succeed in alignment with that. This is our true self. There's the podcast a series of online courses I've created with our collective needs in mind and experiences that allow us to connect as a community. Visit getoffline.co to find out more or follow getoffline.co on Instagram. I hope this episode helps you on your way. Thank you for being here. Kelly Mueller is living the dream and I don't say that lightly or with an ounce of sarcasm. My smart and strategic friend has held roles including marketing director of e-commerce site StyleRunner and led PR for Model Co. before that. Kelly and her husband, more on him soon, I cannot even, moved their young family from Bondi to Byron and haven't looked back. She's a leading example for career women everywhere, proving you don't need to farewell your ambition in order to welcome a child. Today, she runs her own very successful consulting company from home and is, by my own definition, a reluctant influencer. I was keen to talk to Kelly about modern motherhood, including how that plays out on Instagram, and also about identity after baby. Here's Kelly and I for Offline. From one small town girl to another. Indeed. I feel like your town was much smaller than mine, actually. Um, can you tell me what your upbringing was like? Because we actually haven't spoken a bunch about that. No, we haven't. Um, so I grew up in a little town called New Plymouth, which is on the West. New Plymouth. New. Uh, I've just realised how bad it is when I do a podcast with an Australian that goes out to a lot of Australians. I'm like, is this a good idea? Is it too late to leave? Um, Sorry, I shouldn't tease you. <laughs> grew up in a little town called New Plymouth. Um, which is one of the only places in New Zealand that has both a mountain and the beach. So you can literally ski or snowboard in the winter and surf in the summer, of which I did neither of those things. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, it's it's a pretty small town, which is now I think something like the sixth biggest in New Zealand. So, like, New Zealand in general is just wow. so small in comparison to anywhere else. Um, I was raised mostly by my mama, who is a legend all around. She um, is a legend. And yeah, had I mean, went to school there and then moved to 
Auckland for university for a year and then down to Wellington to finish my degree and in that time my mum moved up to Tauranga which is a little beach town on the opposite side of the country but a much um, in my opinion more beautiful place where so my grandparents retired up there mum moved up there and it just became this idyllic little holiday place for us but I think New Zealand really formed so many parts of who I am, especially moving to Sydney. I feel like you can pick someone that's from New Zealand. There's kind of, not just because of her accent, <laughs> but there's kind of a bit more of a, I don't know, like a grounded mm. part of a person. Like in New Zealand, you move out of home when you're 18 because wow. there's no univer- like there's not enough universities in, in all of the small towns. So at 18, you move away, you're living on your own, you're paying rent, you're sorting your shit out. And mm-hmm. I feel like when I came to Sydney, a lot of Sydney people go to university in Sydney. They live with their parents till much, much later. Andrew. And it was just, I feel like you just understand the world in a different way, but mm-hmm. a lot more coming from a smaller town. So, you know, even for yourself, it's like you moved away for university, right? Well, I... Um I first moved out of home when I was 16, right. oh my God, and then went back and then again when I was 18 into my own apartment. And I actually went to uni in Penrith. Right. And I grew up in Camden. So um, it was like, I don't know, less than an hour away. So I would drive there every day. But I definitely identify with having to look after myself from quite a young age. And I yeah. do. Th- I agree with you. I think that's a big part of my story. Yeah. Yeah, and why maybe perhaps we are um, – I'm trying to be conscious of the term successful because it has a different definition for everyone, but I would say in our industry we're perceived as successful young. Yes. And I actually think it's because we probably got started earlier yeah. that we succeeded earlier, if that for makes sure. sense. Yeah. yeah. Um. But then tell me about deciding to move from New Zealand to Sydney. Yeah. Was that a long-held dream or something that you and – so your partner Josh decided? So I didn't actually move to Australia with Josh. Oh, my God, uh, I didn't know that. <laughs> so I came straight from university with an ex-boyfriend actually, um, which is mm, fine to talk juicy. about in here. Scandal. Um I finished my degree in Wellington and had always imagined that I would work as a journalist, which is lol when I look back at it now. Crazy. But um, that for me, you know, was the dream. New Zealand was just too small for that dream to exist. And so the decision was made. There was a whole bunch of us that finished uni and we moved over together. Um I think I was one of the only only one of two girls that came and there were about 15 boys that all came over together. So we were here for two years to start with. Um, I actually started out at EMAP Publishing, which was bought out by ACP, which was bought out by Bauer. Um, So back in the day, I took the job because it was obviously a publishing house and I thought, you know, I can work my way up here. But my job was in... Uh, dispatch. I was booking couriers for magazines. <laughs> it's like one day hilarious. I'm going to work on those magazines. That happened for four weeks and I was like, this is not me and I'm not doing this. So I applied for a job in PR, which I had never studied, but it said that there was lots of writing involved. So I took that on board. But 
I digress in terms of my move over. Um, it was mostly because a whole bunch of us were coming over. We wanted a better opportunity. Sydney had lifestyle. It had sun. It had the beaches. It had the jobs. Um, so I spent two and a half years here and then the ex-boyfriend and I broke up at the same time that my mum got cancer and I moved back to New Zealand for three years while she was going through that in which I met my darling husband. The beautiful angel that is Josh. (laughs) And who, can I also say like, um, what's your Instagram handle? Kelly Mueller underscore. Kelly Mueller (laughs) underscore. Go and look on there. (laughs) And then just take a view on one of the most beautiful men you've ever seen. Honestly, he's not real. He has a really nice heart too. <laughs> he is actually a really good person. But seriously, like, I mean, I like to think Tony's quite handsome. I see Josh and I'm like, Jesus. <laughs> like, I definitely uh, lucked into that one somehow. And mm. then um, tell me about your mum getting sick. I know that was a massive, yeah, obviously, time sure. in your life, but very Yes, I think it shaped you in a lot of ways as well. It definitely did. And I'm always, you know, a big believer in everything happening for a reason. And my mum... so hard in those times, right? Because you're like, this is not fair. And I was in my young 20s. um, It was a pretty difficult relationship that I was in at the time. And for my mum, I'm the youngest of two girls. And she was just so proud that I had gone to university, that I had moved countries, that I was, you know, doing my own thing. And... I think she felt really guilty that I was moving back to New Zealand. But that for me, my mum getting sick saved me from a life that I was currently living. And that shaped everything that's happened for me following that. So with my mum... I'm getting upset already. (laughs) (laughs) I I felt like before that, you know, I was so structured and so organised and everything was so regimented. And I realised for the first time in my life... I couldn't control everything Mm. and you know as I said I I was raised by my mum and she's everything to me so there was no question for Mm. me going back there. The life lessons that it taught me in terms of you know how to overcome difficult situations but also the kind of person I wanted to be moving forward Mm. Um, and also you know as I said as a result I met Josh which was just Mm. that wouldn't have happened and he has changed my life so dramatically. Mm. So how did you guys meet? (laughs) He uh, he's a couple of years younger than me and so he'd actually grown up in Tauranga in the hometown that my mum then moved to so we, did, we didn't know each other. Um, when mum got sick a whole bunch of my best girlfriends had for some reason or another all ended up back in Tauranga as well so some of us didn't grow up there but mm. somehow we were all there so we had a but very that's got to be the universe putting your tribe around you it at was, the time I mean, it was you just insane. one of my best friends had had a baby and had moved back there one had ended up moving from our hometown of New Plymouth um one we met randomly on a on a night out but we literally spent I think a summer just of madness so mm. we uh got the name the lynch mob because we were very (laughs) very close and protective of one another all dealing with really difficult situations and um one of our girlfriends was dating a guy who and Josh happened to be his friend so he turned up one night um actually as the sober driver to find five very wild girls dancing on tables already an angel then (laughs) already an angel he was probably just like what the hell is going on um and we ended up 
forming a really strong friendship actually. So he's an environmental scientist and I was working for a um, strategic marketing agency and we're actually, it sounds so bizarre when I say it out loud, uh, we were pitching for Environment Bay Plenty for a council. Um, it's quite a low income decile demographic area and they were I'm like do these campaigns even exist anyway sorry (laughs) um they were burning wet wood in winter and it was creating really bad environmental issues so my whole job and the pitch was trying to educate people to burn dry wood (laughs) in the winter and so I reached out to Josh and I said what can you tell me about wet wood and I was like so can you just say wet wood for the rest of your life (laughs) Seriously, can we like take this bit out? <laughs> anyway, it all, so he kind of came back to me, helped me put the pitch together and then it was a friendship that just blossomed over conversation. He actually was doing his master's degree in a different town in New Zealand. So it was all phone calls and emails for a long time. Um, and then did you have that like moment where it was like you're working on a project I, um, and then you look into each other's eyes? <laughs> He, he has a very different version of that moment because he's a very good storyteller. Um, but I think it was once we realised that there was more there, it was kind of an all-in for both of us, right from a really um, – yeah, right from the beginning, I think. Mm. And I look back at that, you know, he was – I look at it and I'm like, he's a 23-year-old kid, but his mentality and approach to life was just like nothing I'd experienced before. Mm. So I think it was just – the right time, the right place, the right people meeting. Mm. Um, and it's like, yeah. you know that I have a real belief in past lives and how old your soul is, you know, all of that sort of um, theory on we are a, we're a spirit yeah. and every time we come into the world we choose a body as a vessel. Yeah, for sure. And he and you actually and a lot of women like you in my life I think I've always been attracted to people who I know have been here a while and they're on their maybe, you know, fifth or sixth turn. And then you meet people who they're on their first and you're like, oh, hi, Hi. welcome. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny when I, I have a a very, I think, spiritual side to me in, in the sense of that, you know, life is not just what it seems. And as I said, Josh is a scientist. So there's many times where we have conversations and he'll, nod at me and I know he doesn't necessarily agree with what I'm saying but for a scientist who sees things in very black and white he's extremely open-minded so he's very well versed and educated in terms of making sure that he looks at all sides and both sides still has his strong point of view Mm. but there have definitely been some hilarious conversations in terms of as creators (laughs) as creators we're like but we're doing it it's a great idea and let's Execute now. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And so you've been together a long time. Ten years next year. Yeah, wow. Tony and I have just – we went eight in April. Yeah. Um, Can you – and this – I don't know if this is a hard question or not, but can you tell me what you've learned about um, sort of growing together and I guess fostering a healthy relationship? Because I look at you guys and, um, yeah, I really admire – the marriage that you have and the way you guys parent as well. We, I think one of the most beautiful parts of our relationship is that we, in a sense, haven't had to try. 
I feel like I had two serious relationships before him, both of which were just a constant trying to make it better and trying to make it work. Had that. Shouldn't be so hard. I just, and I've always, you know, said that with friends. I'm like, it shouldn't be that hard. And a lot of the time, you know, they say back to me, they're like, but relationships are hard. And then with Josh, like, I honestly can't tell you a time where I've thought, shit, this is so hard. Like, everything has just been so easy and natural. And I think we really did, you know, as as cliche as it sounds, but bring out the best in each other. So I'm naturally actually quite a fiery person. And in nearly 10 years, you know, I, Josh and I don't yell at one another. We've ne- never had an argument because he, I mean, he's the oldest of um, three boys. He's also the oldest cousin within the family. And so, so he's already like born a leader, really. Yeah, and yeah. he's very reasonable and very calm. And so he, he'll talk through any kind of situation. So anytime we've had... Um, you know, I guess a, a disagreement, it's literally just been a disagreement and it's gone, hey, this is how I feel or this is how I feel. And it's always, I think, been a very open and honest friendship mm. and which as a result means that we're working together in a relationship. And mm. I think we just, you know, in the early stages of our relationship, my mum had cancer, his um, papa passed away and we had really difficult situations to deal with. And mm. I think being able to lift each other up in that and you see the best of people in a bad situation kind of formed the stepping stones for us being where we are today. I can so relate to that. Like the friendship piece especially yeah, because I think sometimes that's the missing thing in marriages and long-term relationships is you have to like the person fundamentally. You have to want to hang out with them yes, and you have to find their sense of humour funny and – you have to be on the same wavelength and then it develops into deep love, yes. you know, because there's passion in the beginning, I think, and that's a really fun stage. Yes, but then it's sustaining that and growing together, I think, when you've been together for a long time or you got together when you're young. It's sort of like how do you figure out who you are but stay on the same path and wavelength? And that's not easy and so many people don't make it through no and I think that's a lot of people change so much in in that time and I think some people are just lucky you know Josh and I haven't been to the point yet where we've gone we really need to think about how we're changing or are we changing or how do we change together um it's it has just happened but you know I've got best friends that have they're totally different people and some have gone look you know you're not right for me anymore and others have gone how do we make this work together Mm. hard it is <laughs> uh we first met when you were working at model co yes and i was a beauty editor i actually still <laughs> have you in my phone under bella sugar not oh, even pop sugar lordy lord <laughs> that's a long time ago that's a long time ago but um i remember when we first met like i was already like oh she's such a boss you know what <laughs> i mean like but i do think we've um we had a pretty special connection early on and I I relate to it in that we we have the same kind of calling and higher purpose. Like I think we've both known that there is a destiny yep. and we're on the path and we know it's going to look a bit choppy and changey. But yeah, how do you sort of remember that time and us meeting? And I feel like when we – when we met, we were both, you know, starting out in an industry that 
it it has you know its benefits and obviously the negatives as well and for us it wasn't about being showy or being part of a scene it was about creating something amazing Mm. and so to me I feel like we really connected on that level we didn't care where we were or necessarily what we were wearing or who we were surrounded by it was about the work that we were doing um and that for me I think a driver for both of us wasn't it like connecting on that ambition yeah because I think it was for me moving from New Zealand to Sydney like Sydney I absolutely love you know we spent six years here before the recent move and there's so many elements that I love about it but there's so many elements that are so Sydney that I, I didn't know. relate to. You're in Byron to. now. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Well, Lennox, which Lennox is... Lennox, yeah. yes. <laughs> and it's like, same thing. Not really. I know. I know. Well, I say Byron and then people that are from Byron, they're like, you don't live in Byron. Yeah. Because I remember actually in that time, I was also forming a relationship with Billy. Yes. Our friend. And I knew it was unlikely that the beauty editor of Bella Sugar would be friends with the fashion editor of Rush. Yes. It fashion had that thing then or like the media industry it was like you kind of rolled in your Definitely. There was status there, it was circle, you know. Circles and I think working for um Model Co like I didn't even speak to the girls in fashion because mm. there was no reason for me to and they'd be like why is this girl reaching out to mm. me? And it's funny because years later and now I obviously still work in the industry in, in, in a different way. But a lot of the fashion girls that I deal with now, I've actually never met in person wow. because I work from home. I work remotely. It's all an email relationship. So even some of the some of the girls from Allure that were there last night, I hadn't actually seen them in person before wow. because things have changed so much. Mm. Byron life. <laughs> Byron life. But also because... From a brand perspective, like, you know, no one's got time to go out and just have a coffee and or a wine like we did back in the day. Like, PR was based around... Drinking. Babes, let's, you know, let's catch up, let's mm. get a coffee. And it just, it's, it doesn't work like that anymore. I remember um, anyone listening who's a beauty editor or worked in beauty, I remember starting and they were like, oh, the beauty editor bloat. Because you just kind of like put on five kilos because all of a sudden all you're doing is having these amazing lunches and going for drinks and yes. it's not normal. And then you got to kind of check yourself and go, no, this is actually you can't have right. bread at every sitting. <laughs> no. um, so after Model Co, you moved on to Style Runner yes. as their marketing director. Yes. Um, that was such an exciting time of growth for that company. Like it really was the buzz company, I feel like, in, in Sydney. Yes. But it was a really big job. It was a yeah. huge job. Can we talk about that? Yes. Yeah. I um. I mean, I spent two and a half years at Model Co, which was incredible. Shelley Barrett is just, sorry, Shelley Sullivan is recent marriage. Um, she's a boss. She's a boss. And I loved working with Shell because, and I feel like that set me up for everything else as well. She knew exactly what she wanted. You know, there was no second question in anything. And the biggest thing that Shell taught me was, you know, you never take no for an answer. And so after two and a half years with her and doing, I feel like, what I had set out to do for Model Co, which was, you know, working on on a brand challenge for them, I felt like the time was ready to leave and I needed more. Um, With Style Runner, I think there were only maybe eight or nine months when I started with them. I'd never had anyone work in marketing other than the co-founders themselves and it was about going how do we how do we make this you know what they set out for it to be 
um, with, you know, I guess the term marketing director, it was just me though. There was no team there. So <laughs> it was everything from PR to digital to, um, you know, activations and above all, it was grow- growing that site and getting the sales in there. So mm-hmm. I think it was an incredible experience and something that I'm so proud of. Um, mm-hmm. And by the time I left, it was because I was pregnant, not because there was mm. a reason for me to want to leave. Was well, actually one of the questions I had. Um, how hard was it, and if at all, um, was it to leave that job after you had Sunny? I think it was – It. I mean, it all happened quite organically for me. I had – wanted to have children for a really long time, mostly because I thought that there would be difficulties. I had a, a fair few health issues that um, led me to believe that falling pregnant would be very difficult. And it was actually the complete opposite. Um, so when I fell pregnant, which is actually an amazing story in itself, I've been talking about this a lot lately, like there isn't a lot of positive stories for women who have ambition to be a mum or are trying to have a baby. All we ever hear seriously is like what goes wrong, how hard it is, you better start trying now, get your eggs checked before you even (laughs) – like it's so doom and gloom like to hear that you were told it would be hard and you know what, it wasn't. Like amazing. Um, And I think that's also trusting in your your gut and having the right support team around you. So, I mean, you know, on that note, my GP had said to me, I would probably only fall pregnant via IVF. Um, Josh was, God, when, when I first started begging for a child, I think only 26. And he was like, it's just not, he's like, it's just not happening. It's not the right time. Like it just, we're not doing that. Um, and it probably took, you know, three years of me going, we, re- we honestly, we should start trying. And most of that was because this GP had put that you into, into my head. I was terrified. Um, and then probably against all of my scientist husband's, <laughs> you know, beliefs, I started seeing a kinesiologist who, for me, changed my life and I honestly believe was part of the reason that it all happened so What's easily. What's his name? His name's David Revit. Um, he was originally based in Crow's Nest through Shelley Sullivan. Thank you for the recommendation. Um, he lives up in the in. Brisbane now but still comes down once a month to take Sydney clients because he's so incredibly popular um but I mean I I had 40 cysts on my ovaries so I it was you know it 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 wasn't likely and then we fell pregnant the first time that we tried um it was champagne fueled (laughs) it was Christmas I have a belief in champagne fueled (laughs) sex to brings babies it was um yeah, I mean, some things you just can't explain, but it um, it happened and whilst probably at the busiest time in Star Honor, we were actually at the point where we were hiring a marketing team um, and I think I went into that the whole time thinking once I had her, I'd be going back to work. A, because I love to work and I enjoyed my job, but also our family situation is that we can't live off one mm. income, especially in Sydney. Like That just wasn't an option for mm. us. Um, and so, you know, the whole way going into it, I'll take these four months and then I'll be back at work. But I think for me, wanting to be a mother so badly and when she was born, there was just a shift that 
I didn't ever, I think, expect. I, kn- I knew that I would love being a mum and I knew that I, well, I thought and hoped that it would come quite naturally. But that maternal instinct was so real for me. Oh, and for sure. There I've was known that just... about you since I met you. Like, <laughs> But there was just no way that I would be going back to work in the same capacity, doing the same hours. It just, it just wasn't, it just wasn't an option. Mm. So for me, I guess leaving that, it, it wasn't a hard decision mm. because suddenly there was so much more for me. Mm. And it's like from what I've heard from you and my other friends who have had babies, it just brings this perspective that you never ever thought you would get, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think the um, when you work in a really fast-paced industry and a really um, high-pressure job, your job is all there is because you want to do well, you want to succeed, you want to overachieve, you want to be recognised. Um, and so you work those long hours, there's always more to do. Mm. And then you have this little human and you think, I can still do all of those things, but why was I putting so much pressure on myself to do it in that way Mm. and the perspective that it brings is that all of you know all of the little things in your life any negativity any drama just ceases to exist a because you don't have time but b because you don't want to bring that into this little human's life either Mm. but I think it's just it's impossible to comprehend or to understand until you get there yeah and then suddenly all just I don't know. I mean, maybe it's for everyone. Maybe it was just for me. But mm. I was just like, it's a pretty this common is... theme that I hear. And you know, I'm now speaking from the other side too. Of like, I've done the big job, yeah. and I ticked all the boxes, and I got the title that everyone thought was super awesome. And you get access, and you get this status, and you know, for a year or two, it's pretty cool, and yeah. you feel on top of the world. And then as you start to really look in, you realize that it's actually not what we're here for and it's not what it's about at all, actually. So for me, and I've said this before, but wanting more isn't manifesting itself in title or things, what I'm called or what you think about what I'm called. It's um, about my personal life and it's about my relationships and, you know, it's the rest of my life, really. It's like we have this tendency I think as young ambitious women to feel like this is our whole story right now yes when it's just a tiny chapter of everything and I'm really looking forward to actually that perspective of like I'm actually as a woman doing what I was put on this earth to do yes you know and not for everyone right and that's okay but for me certainly and for you like yeah and I I think it's also you feel like you know, women are having having babies later and I think a lot of that is because they feel they really need to focus on their career and build their career. And, I mean, I certainly felt like that. And in a sense, I wanted to be in a very senior position when I had my, you know, my child so that if I wanted to go back to work, I could still go into a, a senior position opposed to having to continue to climb the ladder. But I think whichever way you do it, there's been this whole ideal that, or idea that having a child stops everything. But yeah, we've spoken so much about this, haven't we? And I've always admired that you haven't let your desire to be a mum impact your desire to kick sort of career goals. Yeah, and I think it's also, 
I'm now surrounded by women, both back home and especially up in Byron, who are living that same ideal, where I feel like in Sydney, and may, maybe it's just a big city thing, maybe it was the industry that I worked in here, but it is very career or children. Um, and then you suddenly remove yourself from that and you can have both. There's just a different attitude and way of looking at it. Do I need to move to Byron? Well, I just had the conversation with your husband actually <laughs> when you? I arrived. So it's now a good time to tell you to come on up. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. I've got more time. I'm available. Um, I would like to talk about the – this is like kind of selfish for me, but also maybe other young women listening who – Maybe they're trying to have a baby or they're wondering what that might be like. Um, what were those early days like going from a really big job and hundreds of emails and exciting and events and being on the scene, I guess, to being at home alone with a newborn? Yeah. I um, I think for me, I was always a little bit removed from that scene in itself. So even if I was organizing the events, I, you know, I... I couldn't be bothered going to other events. I was tired. I was working a big job. So I feel like for me, I tried to remain a bit anonymous. I've, I've never, you know, needed to be the person in marketing or PR that has been front and centre. So in that sense, it wasn't a huge change. I think the biggest change for me was the lack of connection with anybody else. So Sunny was a pretty terrible sleeper, um, not just in the beginning, but for two years. Um, oh, I remember those days. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's an incredibly lonely time when all of the people that you've been surrounded with are not experiencing the same thing. So for me, the biggest, um, I guess, issue was the isolation of not having anybody to speak to and go, hey, this is really hard. And suddenly a life where you're very structured and you know everything that's happening and you're getting other people you know, on track and, and completing deadlines, you are completely run by this little kid's agenda. And that agenda doesn't work with your agenda. Um, so for me, it was, again, I guess the next stage for me and really being able to let go and... Surrender. And know that I can't control everything. Um, so, you know, our days were spent walking a lot. I was so skinny. I looked so good. <laughs> <laughs> We were honestly doing, you know, Bondo to Bronte four times a day because that was the only way Sunny would sleep. But it was also the way that I got sanity because I was outside. We lived in an apartment in Bondi. Mm. Um, I think WhatsApp for me was incredible because I had a whole bunch of friends in New Zealand that had had babies at the same time. Um, so they were, you know, a world apart from me. But at the same time, Close. I was able to connect. Mm. And I think that's also when I realised there was this um, you know, community on Instagram of mums all around the world that were experiencing the same thing. You know, when you're breastfeeding at two in the morning and sometimes it's a very long process um, and you're scrolling on Instagram and you're opened up to a world that you didn't know existed before because, you know, when you're a marketing director of an online store, why would you know that there are mm. all of these mums at two in the morning on Instagram? So, there was a real connection piece from mm. from that side as well because it's hard to, you know, f find your – people talk about this village, but when you live in another country from your family and your friends and mm. all of your peers and colleagues haven't had children, where does that come from? Mm. 
Should we then talk about mothers on Instagram? <laughs> Giving our opinion on how motherhood intersects with social media was something Kelly and I discussed before recording. Rightly, it isn't my place to have an opinion on it just yet, but I do believe as both a mother and a contributor to family-style content on Instagram, Kelly's in a unique place to share her thinking on it. I, coming from a, a brand background and I've seen the rise, I guess, of Instagram mums, some of it doesn't sit well with me because there's people that are, are given opportunities that they may not have had before, which is amazing in itself, but then to be, I guess, brand ambassadors, I, I look at it and I go, that's not how I would approach things as a brand. So mm. it, that's not from my personal side, that's just from a brand and my, and my career side. And I think like, you know, that's not quite how things were intended to be mm. of influence. Um, but, but I also... ethically is a mum. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I, I've been approached by different companies to, to talk about different products. And for me, like, that's not what my Instagram's about. That's not what I'm about. I've never been paid to do a single post. And sure, there's things that get sent to Sunny because she's cute. Like, why wouldn't you send she something to cute. Sunny? <laughs> Um, but only ever if that is something that I would purchase. Like if somebody sent, you know, an outfit that I would never in a million years buy for Sunny, there's no way that I would put that on Instagram and, you know, thank them for it or post it and, and, and pretend that we're wearing it. And I feel like in the mum sphere on Instagram, there's a lot of that that goes on. So when we talk about being authentic and genuine, you know, they're at home, they're being sent product, it's exciting. It's, they've, they've probably not experienced that before. Mm. But I think there's, there's that element that's not quite professional. Um, and then there's also the side where I think it can be quite dangerous in, in the mum Instagram space as well because you're vulnerable as a new mum. You are consumed by finding out the right information or more information or the right answer because – you're doing something you've never done before and you can be the most skilled and, and incredible person in your career and then you're thrown into this creating and raising a human and there's so many times that you're like, I have no fucking idea what I'm doing. Like, it's terrifying. Mm. And so you look for answers. But then the thing with Instagram is that these mums are sharing opinions and beliefs that sometimes aren't based on facts either and it becomes this community where you can validate your opinions and get a whole community of people validating your opinions, which becomes quite irresponsible and dangerous. Yeah, wow. Um, and then, you know, there's the whole mummy shaming side of things oh as God. well. Like, it's just, it's a very interesting space to be. And I feel like if you're vulnerable at any point, it could it, it could be debilitating. Well, the best advice I've had is just get off Google and get off Instagram when it comes to those yes. times and go to people who have been there before but also experts and doctors. and For sure. And I know. think it's the biggest thing with parenting that I've found is trust in your gut. Mm. And you could, ask, you could ask doctors and experts and then – that way doesn't work for you. So it's a matter of trial and error, mm. but it's a matter of doing what feels right to you. Yeah. Um, and I think it's Instagram's created a voice for people to be far too vocal yeah. in some situations. And also um, like 
you know, <clears throat> I've got to be careful with this because I don't have a baby, right? Yeah. So I don't want to be the person who has a fucking podcast who has an opinion <laughs> about children, right? I get that and yes. um, yeah, I'll start there. But I do hold concern for women who have this preconceived idea of what this beautiful, magical time of motherhood will be like based on what they've seen on Instagram. Yeah. And then they go and replicate that on their own Instagram, but also are we going to be present as new mums for our babies yeah. or are we actually going to create a highlight reel for parenting yeah. as well, you know, and what does it do and mean for a baby to have a phone in their face yeah. all the time? And this has come from someone who I'll probably start a fucking Instagram for the kid. Like, yeah. I don't, you know, yeah. I don't know. I have actually said to Tony, I'll probably keep it pretty private. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and that's just a choice of mine. Maybe it'll be so cute I won't be able to help myself. But Yeah, and I, I think there's, you know, two sides to that, right? There's the very um, contrived but beautiful Instagram feeds of, of these families that, as you said, you know, they're, they're in linen and, and all the rest. And, I mean, I look at those and from a creative perspective you go, God, that's a beautiful shot. Inspiring. That's great. That's fantastic. And then there's also, you know, in quotation marks, the real mums which I'll touch on in a second in terms of that term, but the other ones that are sharing how many nappies they've changed during the day and um, how difficult their day has been. And, and there is a huge you know, cult of women that relate to that and that vibe with that and feel that. Um, but for me, I think it's still being realistic in terms of what your values are and, and I guess where you take inspiration from as well because – for me, I, I read something recently by Pandora Sykes, which I thought was girl. so, so, it, it just connected with me so directly. And she said, um, I'm not withholding, I'm withdrawing. And for her, she was like, I'm consciously sharing on Instagram, which I feel relates to me. So when I post something personally on Instagram, I don't sit there and think about what's my caption going to be? What's this person going to think about it? What am I showing about my life? I'm posting a cute shot of Sunny. I'm posting where we live. I'm posting my very attractive husband. <laughs> and that's not so people look at it and go, I want that life. That's actually my life. My life. Yeah. Um, I don't talk about the shit times. I don't talk about when I'm struggling. That's not me being fake or holding that information from anybody. That's that's who I am personally because I don't feel it's necessary to share that with such a public forum. Mm. If I'm having a bad day, I want to call my mum or I want to call my best friend or I want to talk to my husband. Um, you know, when I even when I first had Sunny, if I was tired and walking down to get a coffee, I'd still put mascara on because that made me feel good. I didn't care what anybody else thought. Mm. But I think there's this, this space on Instagram is do you create – your dream life and share your dream life and share your highlights real or do you share the struggles? Mm. But then I think if you're looking at it that way, you're overcomplicating it. Yeah. So I think it's like anything in life, it's you just need to do you and some people have different motives for why they do those things mm. and that's okay. Well, it also I think comes from a place of how much of the self-work you've done personally. Like you're a very – sort of self-assured, confident person. I'd like to think I am now too from the work I've done. And so we we can be actually quite pragmatic about how we approach Instagram, but there is a lot of people out there who are still finding their way in the world and who have a lot of confidence issues who are, I think, 
um, to your point, perhaps putting out a life that they dream of in a way. Yeah, You know, definitely. that isn't actually the reality of And I think um, my sister's got three girls. The eldest is 15 and I'm especially conscious of her. She has a, an Instagram account and I see what she's putting up and I read her captions and I always make sure that I'm commenting back on those as her aunt but also as, you know, an, an older woman that I hope she's able to look up to and and the other day you know she posted a photo of herself it's her feed's very curated it's all in black and white there's a lot of emojis but um (laughs) she posted the other day something about like you know I don't look good in this photo but whatever her friend's name is does so you know I'm posting it anyway and you know being the aunt underneath but I'm like you're beautiful you're amazing you're fantastic not to make her feel better because she is (laughs) yeah and I think it's it is still our job not just on Instagram but in general to be able to make these girls feel worthy I think that's that's still our role our role and something that you know needs to be built but I think that's also I'm still pretty passionate about the fact that it's not about building women up to be better it's building women up to be equal because Mm. I think that's still that biggest issue is suddenly we've got this thing where it's like, you know, girls can be anything or girls, girls can um, be better than men. I feel like is, is a lot of the conversation at the moment, but it's like, it's not about being better. It's just been about being great as yourself and being equal opportunity. Equal. Yeah. Yeah. No, I couldn't agree more. Um, In terms of identity, I guess, pre-baby and post-baby, a couple of things. Did you experience identity issues after Sunny? And then also how has your relationship with self perhaps and also your body changed? Because I feel like as sort of strong and empowered women and no matter what your sort of sexual orientation, I think you understand the gaze. And we've spoke about that last night, actually. And that may change, I think, after you've had a baby as well. Um, I think, you know, pre-sunny work defined me. So, you know, putting on a pair of heels and going into the office, that's what made me feel powerful. Um, I liked getting dressed for work, which in itself was difficult when I started working at Star Runner because activewear became <laughs> the norm. And that for me was so far from what I felt to be me. Um, getting dressed for the office was something that made me personally feel really powerful. Once Sunny was born, it was kind of like, well, work work isn't success and that doesn't define me. But I'm not going anywhere today and I'm not doing anything. So how do I get dressed for the day? What do I Mm. do in this situation? Um, I struggled with that, I think, internally more than anything else. Um, You know, I still got up every day and had a shower and left the house and, and so forth. But I think it definitely changes you in the sense that there's no real reason to get done or to Mm. get ready. Um, And so you kind of go, who am I? in this space and I think when you're stuck at home and you're breastfeeding or bottle feeding or whatever it is that you do and you suddenly think like is is this my life right now because it really is such a change from anything you know that that you've experienced before um I think it was also recognizing 
the incredible ability that your body has to do what it does. Like there is just, you you can't explain it. It's It's the fact that it grows a human. And you know, what I found really difficult, again, whether it's Instagram or the media or whatever else, is talking about these real women post babies. And I just thought like, what, what does real woman even mean? Because all of these women that have had children are real mm. and some bodies bounce back and others don't. And some women choose not to exercise and some choose to, but however and whatever your body does, doesn't make you any more or less of a woman, mm. Wom- woman. <laughs> I mean, for me, I was, um, exercising was my way to get an hour to myself. So when Sunny was, um, you know, eight weeks old, I went back to F45 because they made me feel strong and they made me feel more confident. And I think you want confidence after you've had a baby because everything else around you is difficult or different. Um, for me, I was like, I understand what a woman's body is for, but I still want to feel good. Not not just for my husband because he wouldn't care whatever, mm. um, but for me because I'm like, that's where confidence comes from, when you feel great within yourself. Um, but it's you know, you're a little bit wider or you're a little bit um, larger in areas that you weren't before. But that's something for me is to be proud of Mm. because I now have this three-year-old that is this incredible little human that came from my body. Mm. And then right now you're six months pregnant. I am. (laughs) (laughs) Are we saying if it's a... Yeah, another little girl. Another little girl. Yeah. Oh, my God. (laughs) And you, I said this to you the other day, but you just... I love you pregnant. Thank you. You are just a picture of, yeah, health and you got the glow and it really suits you. Thanks. So, again, you're like pregnant goals, mum goals, career goals. If it makes you uh, feel better, I actually have perioral dermatitis and I also have pubis symphysis, which means my pelvis is extremely difficult all the time. Difficult? Painful. It's angry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I have one last question. Uh, that I've been asking each of my guests. <laughs> um, so this concept of true self, which is really why offline exists, and we have this tendency as women to place labels on ourselves, to define ourselves. Yeah. If you take all those labels away, how do you identify with true self and who are you when you're sitting in your true self? I feel like for me it's happened quite naturally in terms of – feeling my true self so I I mean I feel like whether I'm in a work situation home conversation now whether I'm with my husband I'm always my true self so who you see on Instagram that slightly awkward person who's terrible in photos and posts a lot of photos of their kids like that's just me Um, I'm a pretty open book I wear my heart on the sleeve on my sleeve I don't shy away from saying what I think I think being open and honest and truthful with integrity is who I am naturally and is someone that I'm really proud of. So I feel like that sense of self has always been quite strong for me. Mm. And I think also because of the way that I was raised, you know, as I've said, my mother was incredible, but she wasn't a, a strong, powerful role model in that sense. She was a very soft, nurturing, gentle 
person who I didn't realize until later in life taught me everything there is to know about being selfless and mm. and being loving and so that real strength came from just an innate natural place for me mm. and you know that sense of self is what I want to be able to teach my daughters that wherever it comes from or what you feel in your gut that's who you are that's mm. yourself you don't need to change anywhere from there incredible I am so <laughs> proud to know you thank you and call you my friend the very same about you <laughs> sitting here being recorded. <laughs> I know. Well, we are um, the definition of sporty spice today. We are. We're in our workout, our active wear. And you know what? We're going to go and do the coastal walk. That sounds yes. very exciting. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Love you. Love you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Offline. Visit getoffline.co to explore more episodes, the online courses I've created to help you succeed consciously, and upcoming community events. Follow getoffline.co on Instagram and me. My handle is Alison Larson Rice. Lastly, if you know someone who would benefit from hearing these honest conversations, please share offline with them.